They say the world could be hard, cruel, and ugly. Trust me, it gets worse if you're hungry and thirst. Doesn't push you from position, last place to first. Can't build a foundation without having feet in the dirt. So I put in the work, grind harder than most. I don't chase accolades of the living, I'm facing a ghost. That's what makes me the GOAT. Depending on who you ask, my brother, whatever task. Got it covered like a mask, guaranteed they can't see me at the open run. Cause I cook competitors until they look well done. Don't act like you don't know where I held from. I had to climb about the trenches, sit on benches, throw my time and come. Don't be mad at the player, be mad at the game. Sneak this in the hating, that's a flag on the play. Me falling off, huh? That'll be the day I'm like, bolt in the race, leave the track, flambe, it's the open run. I saw a video this past weekend where these people were having lunch or something in the park. I don't even know where it was. And somehow allowed a big ass bear to creep up on them unannounced and unnoticed. Like he was supposed to say, hey, bear coming. But crawls up on the damn table, starts eating their food and they're just sitting there trying to stay still so the bear doesn't attack them. And I have some questions about that. One, how the hell do you let a big ass bear creep up on you like that? And you didn't get your spin on immediate. The food must have been incredible. And two, who is the clowny ass dumb dumb who is recording it and not calling for help? Everything is not a damn viral moment. De La Nas and Wu Tang were in town this past weekend in Toronto. And I thought about going to hang out, going to see him, do whatever. And I wasn't going to take one picture. That part I've already done before with them. Sometimes I like to enjoy the moment. And I think we missed the moment because everybody's trying to make a viral moment. Social media is a trip. Everybody wants to be an influencer, to be first. I get being first at certain things, 100%. I like being first at everything except being last in a lot of areas. That's me. But again, not everything is a viral moment. And when I was sitting at the park, I thought about playing basketball this weekend, talking to some of the guys who were hooping. And they were discussing Floyd Money Mayweather and his need, and that's in air quotes, for 50 cars or $50 million watches that he could not possibly wear, but you could wear a different watch every day. That's what he does. And not standing in judgment of him. We talked about judgment last week, and it's hard to look at a dude who went from nothing to something and tell him what to do once he gets it, especially the way he earns it. There is no hiding behind a desk and worrying about imposter syndrome you're standing damn near butt naked in front of people and you're fighting for what you earn. You're fighting for the food you eat. So if he decides to spend it on giraffe meat, what am I going to say to him? Well, people, as I say, are gone people. That doesn't mean that I have expectations or anything like that. It says that people are going to do what they need to do, determined by their circumstances. One would think that the people who are sitting at that picnic table would have exercised the same thinking, but I say to people like that sometimes, you need better friends. And when I think of the late John Fletcher and my man Jalil Hutchins and Drew Carter of the group, Houdini made one of my favorite songs of all time, Friends. How many of us have them? Friends, ones we can depend on. But before we go any further, I want to welcome my friends to the podcast where basketball and life are one. It is The Open Run with Will Strickland. The Open Run with Will Strickland is brought to you by the fine folks at One Neighborhood. One Neighborhood, you'll find out more about that very, very soon. I can be found across these rough interweb streets at W underscore Strickland and the number one on Twitter. 
Will Strickland and the number one on IG. And of course, across all streaming platforms where podcasts can be found, but right now exclusively at anchor.fm. Real friends, people you can count on, people you can say the quiet part out loud to. Like when I tell my friends who love TV show friends, that friends is just a ripoff of living single. They did it first, they did it better, and it was black people. Huh, what's new there in that story? They don't like it, but I tell the truth. And maybe I don't need new friends, word to Arby Drake Graham. But someone who has a lot of new friends and has exhibited an amazing amount of character and strength without the fanfare is the person I selected to be my WNBA MVP this season, Alyssa Thomas of the Connecticut Sun, who even though they were vanquished in four games versus the New York Liberty, who stunted their opportunity to go on to the WNBA final and face the Las Vegas Aces. In her post game. She was talking that shit. I liked it. But it wasn't disrespectful to her opponent. It wasn't disrespectful to anyone else in the league. And maybe, just maybe, it's a shot at the voters. You know, the people who most likely never played the game, for the most part, are journalists, if they want to call themselves that now. She was asked how she see her season, and she said, well, I've accomplished some things in this league that have never been done. I had a season like no other, and it probably won't happen again. You probably won't see it again unless I do it. You know, most triple-doubles in league history, most double-doubles in a single season, no matter what they say about me, I'll always be in the record books. Salute to that, and it's true. And maybe some of that is the pain and sting of losing three straight to the Liberty and people not truly understanding her value, a triple-double and closeout game. She did everything she could do to help her team win. They just came a little bit short. And had Brianna Stewart not going off like she did and started finding her stroke in her game toward the end of this series, you might be talking a different tune. But someone who's going to find his stroke, pause, and his game is Damian Lamont Ali Lillard Sr., who is now a member of the Milwaukee Bucks, not the Miami Heat. And that trade was very, very interesting. And I love what the GM of the Portland Trailblazers did. And I'll get to that in a second. But in trading Dame Lillard for assets that he wanted, one Drew Randall Holiday, one two-time All-Star gold medalist and also NBA champion Drew Holiday, knowing full well he was not going to keep him, was getting an asset that would be much easier to move than Damian Lillard. But he moved him where he wanted to move him, not necessarily where Dame wanted to go. You want a top 75 teammate, chance to win a championship? Here you are. It's just not in Miami. No tax-free state for you, I guess. I don't know. But one thing that happened with Milwaukee is that Milwaukee did not consult Giannis Ugo LaTerrence Antetokounmpo on this trade. When they had an opportunity to get Jimmy Butler years ago, Giannis rejected that trade and stuck with his guy who he knew since the time he came to the league, Chris Middleton. What do you think he would have said in that meeting if they had come to Giannis based on that history that they had before and taking a guy who has taken his team with less talent to the NBA Finals twice in the past four years than Jimmy Butler? What do you think he just said to Dame Lillard, top 75 player of all time? Does he pull the trigger or does he hold on to that loyalty that we so covet in fandom out here today, in sports media out here today? I don't know, but he wasn't consulted. So I don't know how that's going to play out in Giannis's negotiations. He's eligible for an extension this year. He's not going to sign that. He's going to see how this season goes, see what they do with Dame, and then figure out what he's going to do next season. Smart. The people around him, if they have not advised him, even though Milwaukee's done everything they can do to put the bodies around him that he wants, they won a championship. They feel like they should win more. So does he. 
Again, it's going to play out very interesting in Milwaukee. But I look at the other team that had to get involved to make this whole thing work. This is with a three-way trade. The Phoenix Suns, who gave up DeAndre Ayton. And really, he's the only person I'm going to talk about here. I feel bad for DeAndre Ayton because, even though he's not dominating, as he calls himself, DeAndre Ayton started, I think, I think, watching him this summer play in FIBA games with his new teammate for the Suns, Eric Gordon, who came over, and also Buddy Heald from the Bahamas. When they went down and defeated Argentina in this World Cup qualifier, you can't name a team from the Bahamas. The only guy I knew from the Bahamas that played basketball was Michael Thompson, former number one pick, much like DeAndre Ayton. And I think he came to the understanding that he's never going to be the guy in any city, on any team. And he started to embrace that. When he got out of the way, he allowed Buddy Heald to cook and allowed Eric Gordon to cook. And he played defense and rebounding. He, I think he had like a 15-point, 21-rebound game against them. That's the guy they wanted to see in Phoenix. Some level of aggression. But again, it's hard to change a player's game in the ninth inning. He's been labeled with that tax since he was in high school. All the physical talent in the world. Maybe not the emotional capital. Because it takes a lot from a feeling standpoint to, to push yourself to that point where you know you can be one of the best. Not just talk it into existence, but actually be that. I didn't see that in him. But the Suns, they say they got more balance in their roster. It's more depth. Yusuf Nurkic, Grayson Allen. Nobody's game planning for those guys, but I get it. And with Bradley Beal working out with John Wall, maybe they make a spot for John Wall, but we saw how that worked out with the Clippers. With guys who are always injured, much like John Wall is, and he still couldn't make it there. I'm not convinced that the Suns got better as a result. We shall soon see. As I said about Jimmy Butler who came on Instagram and said, hey, hearing these little beads and stuff, I think the NBA should be checking Milwaukee for tampering with this trade for Dame Lillard because they left like a little lover scorned. Let's speak to the petty that is the real winner in this whole trade, and they're going to continue to win. Not right now, but in the future, I could see it. Portland, they left Miami on red while they traded all these assets, all these other places, and maybe they sent Malcolm Brogdon down there. Now they have him in the Drew Holiday trade. Maybe you end up getting Malcolm Brogdon as your consolation prize. Not necessarily a bad consolation prize, former rookie of the year, current and reigning sixth man of the year, but he's no Dame Lillard. And much like Milwaukee made moves to get somebody in their fold who was a great player who could never get his team over the hump, we've seen this movie before in Milwaukee. For those who don't know, one Oscar Palmer Robertson was brought in in 1971 to help a young star, big man, the artist formerly known as Ferdinand Louis Alcindor Jr., to help him win a championship. Now, I know that Giannis has already won his, but he wants to win more. Veteran guy coming in from a team that did not win. Top 75 players. Is it a reach? You can let me know. But in the meantime, in between time, make sure you come back for more. As I say, all the quiet parts out loud. On the other side of this, on the open run with Will Strickland. Back, give you more what you ask for. It's the open run with Will Strickland in conversation with the one, the only, the great Sean Williams. Now, sir, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Will. Anytime, man. And as I do with each and every one of my guests who comes on the podcast, if you would please, sir, run your resume and let people know why you're here on the open run. Oh, number one, humbly honored. 
The great Will Strickland has invited me, Sean Williams, co-founder of Obsessive Sneaker Disorder and the Social Studies Community Academy in Brooklyn, New York, to the show. Longtime sneaker lover slash consultant slash curator, co-founder of the first sneaker podcast in the industry, that being Obsessive Sneaker Disorder. That's where our company name came from in 2007. And we founded the Social Studies Sneaker Industry Education Program in 2011. So this is our 12th year. Mm -hmm. Happy now on this 12th year to also on the 50th anniversary of Hip Hop Culture open the Social Studies Community Academy here in Dumbo, Brooklyn. So, yeah, the journey continues one pair at a time. Well, I love that. And I want to do a thing as we continue to introduce you. We play this game called The Association. Uh -huh. which is on media day, the first day of the 78th campaign of the National Basketball Association. I'm going to give you a phrase or a word. Uh -huh. You're going to tell me the first thing that comes to mind okay. when you hear this phrase. So starting now, let's go with, and you actually said this, but well, I'll do this. D. Wells. D. Wells. Man, there's a lot of words to describe D. Wells, but that's my soul brother. Okay. Ali Shaheed Muhammad. That is my bro dad. <laughs> Talk to me about that. What is that? So Ali and I have always been friends who are like brothers, but he's also such an upstanding, righteous, and just really humble dude. He's kind of always one of those people when I feel like I'm going to be doing something that's a bit on the ratchet side, ghetto or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm like, let me think about if Ali would have something to say about this. And let me just readjust my, my dealing with this situation. I don't think he's mm. happy with the way I want to deal with this versus the way he would suggest I deal with it. So he's been my bro dad for that reason. <laughs> okay. Dumbo. Scenic and cultural. And for those who don't know, Dumbo is where? Brooklyn. Brooklyn in the house, without a doubt. Dr. Dwayne Edwards. He is the architect of independence. Mm, I like that. Black Footwear Forum. That is definitely our homecoming, for sure. Mm -hmm. Critical Lace Theory. Critical Lace Theory. Real conversations about the industry. Okay. Cool Bob Love, Robert Garcia. Cool Bob Love, ultimate supporter, ushered in what we now know as sneaker culture, and also one of the most humble brothers I've ever met. Okay. And last but not least, Maple Gang. Maple Gang showed out, <laughs> took no prisoners, great gang of folks. I got to get up to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt, man. It seems as though you've been connected in the sneaker culture world, and now you see all kinds of leagues being involved mm -hmm. with what sneaker culture brings. Because when you think about the guys who create the style and fashion agendas for the league, they understand that you build from the bottom up. The sneakers have to go with your outfit. Or maybe they don't. They just have to feel right in that moment. Because right. a lot of guys are like, okay, let me get asymmetrical a little bit. I'm not going to be so matchy-matchy, but it's going to speak to a vibe that I'm trying to create, a mood I'm trying to create. Yeah. And I like that when people are in tune with the fashion and function of sneakers. Yeah. And I think that relationship became a big part of how they promote the NFL and the NBA now. Well, the NBA first. They always have led. Yeah. But now you see it. Major League Baseball is doing it. WNBA is doing it. They have the tunnel walk now. Yep. What are they wearing? And now you can go on Google and buy what they're wearing. Mm -hmm. So now they've gotten in bed with this idea. Yep. 
And from a fashion and function standpoint, what are the three top projects you worked on that kind of married fashion and function? Well, for us, you know, we've always made sure through our education initiatives, Will, that hip hop culture is never forgotten when you talk about sneakers. Mm. And I have to be brutally honest when I say the inspiration behind social studies existing in the first place is the fact that when we had conversations with the brands, they they got, kind of came clean with us on the fact that they didn't know how to reach the people in the streets 100%. to give them the opportunities to work for them, mm-hmm. which was a fair assessment that took years to get out of them. But then when we went back to the streets, we encountered a new problem. People were like, wait, you can work in the sneaker industry? Mm-hmm. How do I get there? So knowing that there were people of our same backgrounds from inner cities, people of color who work for these brands and literally never came back did not come back to the old schools, the old public schools, the old high schools, the old colleges, nothing. They did not come back and share and impart any wisdom on what's happening in the sneaker industry. Mm. So that left a whole bunch of people in a lurch, right? And then us being, you know, from the hip hop generation, mentorship and every, is everything. Mentorship and apprenticeship is everything. You want to learn how to write graffiti. You want to learn how to DJ. You want to learn how to MC. Like you had to first default to someone who you knew was already doing it. Talk to them. them to take you under the wing and show you. And then at some point you were assessed to be on your own. You're ready. Mm-hmm. That happened in the sneaker industry. There's people left and just literally went to these far reaches of these companies where they're located, forgot where they came from and never came back to teach anybody or bring anybody else along. So that's when we encountered the new problem. Okay. You guys all buy sneakers. You love sneakers. But you have no connection to the fact that this is a money-making job slash career opportunity for you. So we took it upon ourselves to do that. You know, there were already people who were doing design. There's tons of design programs all over the planet. But what about the kid who's just as fresh, you know, who has just as much passion but can't draw? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Doesn't know or have any design sense. Mm-hmm. But he has a fashion sense because he knows what he wants to put together. Those are the today's stylists for the NBA athletes. Those are the folks who said, you know what? I know there's a story I can tell when I put these shoes with this jacket with these pants. You know what I'm saying? Like What you said was key right there, though. mm -hmm. Storytelling. Right. Rich Paul, who we'll talk about his book actually next week, Jesse Washington, who wrote his book, who's a friend of the program, Mm -hmm. one of our champions from Full Court 21. Yeah. Rich Paul was one of those kids you're talking about who didn't know anything about cut and sew or any design stuff. He just knew what to do from a style and fashion standpoint. Right. And what you're doing there in Brooklyn is so essential because you talked about this when we came to visit you. The first time we met in person yep. was August 21st. Yep. So it's been, what, a month and a half? Yep. Feels like we've known each other forever. That's a fact. And we got there. I recorded you talking to Heather. one member of the Maple Gang, Heather, just H. And you talked about when you see a sneaker, do you see the sneaker? Do you see the 20 other jobs that go in? you see... Ticker Hatfield, but right. you don't see the 20 other people who've contributed to creating that thing. Those right. are jobs. Right. And people who love this thing and who are involved in it don't know that those jobs exist for them and they're right. available for them. Talk about that for a minute and storytelling and why that's so important from a hip hop culture standpoint and just from a cultural standpoint, period, for us. Well, you know, the interesting thing is I was a graffiti artist, right? Mm. And the biggest joke ever told personally to myself, I call it the biggest joke to myself is all those years that 
I wrote on trains, on walls, on clothes, on in books, and all these different surfaces and things that you shouldn't write on, but we wrote on them anyway. You from New York, you get it. Mm-hmm. But not one time in all the years that people knew I was in the sneakers, and I've been in the sneakers since 13 years old. Not one time that I ever encountered that one person to say, you know what, all that talent that you're writing on the walls and everywhere, you know you could take that and work in the sneaker industry. I never met that person. Mm. So, so, so like for me, I'm the designer that never was. Right. I had that sense. I had that artistic talent, but I mm. never came across that person working in this thing that I was so passionate about and spending so much money on to say right. to me, we could get you in. You could take that talent and you could blow this up. For all well, we know, what, I could have been Dwayne Edwards. I could have right. been Jason Maiden. I could have been Wilson Smith. You know what I mean? But you're still part of that storytelling, though. Right. I think for you to create conduits for these young kids who will have what you didn't have, right, is so vital and so important. I to we the next took phase. It upon ourselves, D and I took it upon ourselves to be the kid who we needed when we were that age. Right. Right. But then we also, because we both have extensive corporate backgrounds, me 30 years in procurement and sourcing and vendor relations, D in finance and mortgage banking, and, and, and our corporate careers are what helped us finance both of us collectively probably owning close to 10,000 pairs of shoes. Mm. We were able at one point, particularly when we started OSD and around that time, 06, 07, right around the years of the Air Force 25th anniversary, mm-hmm. we started <laughs> seeing that when we started going to these companies and working with these folks at these brands, it was like, not only do you need the folks who we talk to every day, who we're in touch with, who we spend a lot of our time with, not only do you need them, but they could come in and make you guys more money if you gave them the opportunity. But, you know, like electricians and doctors and all the other industries, that mentorship and apprenticeship is there. In the sneaker industry, it was not there. So Dwayne was kicked in the door on it with Pencil when he opened Pencil in 2010 and did it for design. But again, what about all the other kids who cannot draw, who right. are good at math, who are good at marketing without knowing their marketers, mm. who are good at all these other different corporate disciplines that exist in sneakers as well, right? So that's the other piece of it that we became really hardcore advocates for is your experience in one industry can lead you to this one, but nobody built the bridge to get you there. Nobody told you you had the transferable skills that will put right. you in this space where you spent so much money on sneakers. My corporate experience bought all my shoes once I became of age to work in the corporate ranks. Before that, you know, I made a deal with my mom. If my grades were right every marking period, I want a new pair of shoes on top of the two <laughs> that was allocated every year. Right. You know I'm saying like, you know, the two shoe, the one for school, for, for gym, and then the, the one for you that go with your play clothes. Oh, you're lucky. I so didn't have I had, that luxury. Well, I had that. And then because of my deal with getting good grades every marking period, I ended up with shoes in multiple because of that. But then by 15 years old, I started working and making my own mm. money. Right. So because I was still in my mom's house, still going to school, we still had that deal. Mm-hmm. On top of the fact that I was working. Mm-hmm. So that was how the sneakers ended up in multitudes for me from an early age. But again, through all of that, I never met that person who was like, mm. yo, with all of this, kid, <laughs> come on. We got a place for you. Which lends to my next question. Why this and why you? You were able to see all the elements and the variables 
to create the equation that you wanted for your life mm -hmm. with here's my corporate experience, here's my cultural experience, and here's my desire to connect those two and make my skills transferable across these disciplines, but also to provide a place, an idea for other kids who are like me, who don't have what I have, but I can bring them into the fold. And that will be my purpose in this thing. What was that moment that, that made it happen for you when I asked why you and why this? I think for us, it was with the success of OSD. Mm. Because when we first wanted to do the podcast slash talk show, People are like, no one's ever going to listen to you guys talk about sneakers for two hours. This is the dumbest idea you've ever come up with. Mm -hmm. They literally said that to us. And through the success of the show, we started hearing from the brands that people at the brands were listening to our show every Wednesday to figure out how to do their jobs. Mm. Like people were telling us from the Nikes, from the Adidas, like we listen on Wednesdays. You guys have such insight. And we're like, wait a minute. What we have here is consulting. You give away free game. They said you were giving away free game. Yeah, they told us we were giving away free game. And once we started ending up in those consulting situations, that was when we drew the dotted line back to the hood in terms of the opportunity because they kept calling us for the same things. And mm. It was like, you know, if you had these people working here to solve these problems in-house, you wouldn't have to pay me, fly me, put me in a hotel, and buy my meals every mm. time you need me. Because every time you call me, it's going up. Why are you trying to take money off the church house table? You mess with the church house money. Talking about they can have somebody internal, but you didn't want to work internal. You know that. I didn't want to work internal. But again, thinking about me being the kid who never got that opportunity to meet someone who worked in the industry and said, yo, you know, with that talent, this is where you could go. Mm. I don't I don't ever want a kid. If it's in my power to have that situation happen in their life ever again, that's what drives me is to never have that happen again. Mm -hmm. Well, how can young people sign up and find out more about social studies and what you do? So our website is now up and live and full of a whole bunch of details of cool stuff. So, you know, we spell it really weird. It's social, S-O-L-E-C-I-A-L, studies.com. So that's the website. I'm easy to get to on LinkedIn. I know a lot of young people are now on LinkedIn now, so... Hit me up on LinkedIn, Sean Williams. You'll find me there. Um, and then Instagram. My handle is usually where I get a lot of inquiries and I respond pretty quickly to those and then route people to the appropriate ways that we can all get connected. By any means, every day I get up, Will, and I'm making sure that I find the kid that was in my situation so that right. he doesn't become me again at that age. Right, right. Well, I actually almost let this escape. I did ask you about the top three projects and we started talking about something else. But I really want to know, like three projects, once you started doing this, said, this is why we're here. This is our purpose. And we're fulfilling that. I don't know if I can narrow it down to any one three. But what I can tell you, right, is through the alumni that we've had over the last 12 years, there have been some really strong alumni that have come through that have been doing some incredible stuff, in particular, women of color. Love that. Because that was one of the motivating factors was we want more people of color and more women to work in the sneaker industry. Mm -hmm. And I'm always thinking, especially now since we opened the academy, about our collective body of work in terms of our alumni of the program, mm. how we can continue to, number one, celebrate them, support them, and make sure that they're around and be an example for people who are coming up in the next generation of folks who we're going to teach about the game. So 
when I think about the 12 years of alum that have come through that either work in some of the bigger corporations or the folks who even started their own sneaker sneaker businesses off to the side, I can tell you one of my oldest students, he was just here last week. He's about 66 years old right now, but when he took social oh, okay. studies, he was 62. Hmm. And he's already published since I met him in 2015, since I met him, he's already published six books wow. about graffiti, about sneakers. He just put out a sneaker poetry book. It's never too late. It, it, it isn't. And I think that that's one of the things I want people to realize too, is wherever you are on your own time, you're going to get to where you need to get because mm. the ageism thing is starting to go away in a lot of areas. You know, mm -hmm. in particular in hip hop, it lasted for a while. Well, we, we've all had friends. You and I both have been in music where we've seen a 25-year-old go, man, I'm giving up this rap stuff. I'm done. Too old for this. Mm -hmm. And right. now, look at Nas and Wu-Tang and whole folks. Dayla. Look at all yeah. these folks who are selling out arenas better than the young folks. And it's funny that's happening because there's a lack of respect for nostalgia I've seen in my experience in our communities. You know, because we attach words that, and I always said, my father, blessed dead, was always say this, words have meanings and these meanings form mentalities. So when we talk about our legends, our music, we put a word in front of it that kind of changes how people who might not understand what it means in context. And that's the word old. Mm -hmm. Old school, old rappers, old this. Old has a negative connotation. It's the majority to most people. Mm -hmm. When you hear people talk about rock and roll from the past that was great they don't call it old rock they call it classic rock mm -hmm. golden era these things have a positive connotation they are euphemisms that make people embrace that thing yeah but what ends up happening is because and you know what I, I, i'm about to dive into something now. i don't want to make an indictment on these young people who have the advantage of having social media so from a performance standpoint that stuff has to go out the window, right? Well, so they're not entertaining me for two hours, standing there the whole time, just rapping on the mic. They have to have all these visuals and everything else, but there's nothing about their personalities that will tell you, let me carry a show for two hours. Well, social media kills nostalgia. Okay. First, first and foremost, that kills nostalgia because when you can capture everything in the moment, it happens how it happens. It makes it harder to do everything. You know what mm. I mean? Because you've already put everything out there before it get a chance to even settle in as a nostalgic feeling for you, mm. right? You know, I saw online not too long ago, it was a meme where somebody said, the things you guys do and talk about, we did and didn't tell anybody. Right. Oh, look, you used to have a journal or a diary. Now you put it out in 280 characters on social media every single day. Right. You're telling them everything you're thinking. And you know, Don Corleone said, don't let people know what you're thinking outside of the family. Right. But anyway. That's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. But, but there's a time that, when we wouldn't let people fingerprint. No, you can't fingerprint me, man. You can't have my image, whatever. Now we give it away freely like we're doing right now. Right. But, but you know, I think that for us, that driving force has always been to force you to hold more uh, value to your story. Yes, sir. Even if it's just through sneakers, right? You're going to give everything else away. You're going to post your outfit on social media. You're going to post your hat. You're going to post it at a concert. The one place where I still have hope that stories matter is in sneakers. Mm. And I always feel that, you know, we've always still, and, and that has been unwavering, is that, you know, sneakers represent a story in every box, whether you like them or not. 
whether okay. it's Snoop Dogg's slip-ons with fucking Skechers, <laughs> or, or if it's um, Hakeem Olajuwani tonics. Oh, because segues, much like tricks are for kids, you, sir, are going to be pressed right now uh-huh. into giving me your starting five all-time sneakers by position and player. Woo! Since you said Hakeem Olajuwon, like I said. So at right. it, it, point guard, who you got? All right, so at point guard, I have to go with Magic. Okay, so the weapon. Nope, his cons. Okay, I was going to say Wilson Batters back when he was in college. I mean, he won nope. the championship over Larry Bird. Nope. At the UCLA's, nope. I didn't like that. I don't like the bot- that, that bottom slash power like logo. I've never really liked it. You know what it is, though? I was just trying to pick something that was like so far left that people go out and look for it. Oh, they're definitely going to have to look. They gonna oh, have- I got some. I and, got and, some. I, and, I wear them on TV. And the John Wooden versions came out not too long ago. No doubt. I'm rocking them. Yeah. I'm so, rocking them. So Magic, um, I go there. If I had to go like that. shooting guard. I mean, you know that's easy, babe. Not really. You go go somewhere else. Like, can I can I lend something to your point guard? Yeah. The guy who, who made everyone want to get fly in fashion? Walt Clyde Frazier. Yeah, I'll give you Clyde. Puma, yeah, I'll give you Clyde. Puma Clyde's at the point for me. I give you Clyde. Okay. If I have to go to center, I'm going to go to center because it's easy. Mm-hmm. And it's also one of those that's always a point of contention, right? Because people didn't mm-hmm. know the history. I'm going to go with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar at center with the Jabbar highs. Because technically speaking, Kareem was the first one with a signature shoe, not Clyde Frazier. Yes. But he was with Prokhead then before he got with Adidas. But his Jabars came out in 71. Did they? I thought they came out a year after that. Nope. His Jabars are 71. And you're talking about... The Jabbar with the half shell toe cap. You want me to go get them? No, no, no. I, I <laughs> you. you can send me the picture later. Because you but know I have them. <laughs> I have some, and I have some lows like that. Yeah. Right. But okay, Kareem, one hundred percent. All right, that's your center. You got Magic. Kareem I can't beat you at up. center. I can't beat you at center unless you said Etonics for Hakeem, who is arguably the greatest center ever. But, look, but those are my second. That the Hakeem yeah. Etonics are my second. One hundred percent. I mean. Top 15 in points, rebounds, blocks, number one in blocks, and steals as a center? Unheard of. But, and, and, yeah, I like and, that. And teaching footwork to the entire league? Listen, people are talking about, oh, Giannis couldn't learn nothing. Dog, Kobe, blessed the dead. The hashtag, he who shan't be named, because I can't say his name on the podcast. This guy gets emotional. <laughs> they compare him to the guy you had at your shooting guard, uh-huh. sneaker-wise. He has some competition there, though. So if I got to go great, late great Kobe and Bryant. Yep. If I got to go back down, I'll go to power forward. Who had some great power forward shoes? <laughs> I don't know. This one is debatable, but even though he's he's sort of like a point, a, a, a center slash power forward, I got to give it to Timmy. 100%. You can say Timmy. I, you know what I'll say? KG. His KG. first Nikes. Yes. Or you can even say Chris Webber. Chris Weber has some joints too, but I would take KG over Tim Duncan. I would, I the would, great I, Timothy I, Theodore I, Duncan. I agree. I agree with that. I would. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Small forward. We're definitely going with Scotty. Really? Okay. I'm going gonna go with Julius Winfield Irving the second. Okay, you're right on that because iconically. You know why? You know why? Because I'm gonna tell you my sneaker regret. I'm gonna <laughs> give, tell you my sneaker regret, which is why you win on that. <laughs> Do you remember when Converse at one point put out the pro leather with the six on the heel, the white and mm. red? Mm-hmm. So check out what my dumbass did. 
had a pair and went somewhere one day and got a mega buck 50 slash across the toe box, right? So peep it. Before the age of sneaker maintenance and customization and all of that that these guys do now to help you restore your kicks and keep them in good shape, that slash came, we're talking early 2000s, and I was like, I can never wear these again. And I gave them away. Mm. Thinking, oh, this is Dr. J. Converse would be silly to not put these shoes back out ever again. Right. Never came back out again, ever, with the six on the heel. Right, right, right. Never came back out again. I'm, I'm so sick about it. No, there's a resale. There's an entire. a sneaker event and saw a dude wearing a pair. Like he, he knew what he had on. I walked up and I was like, yo. No, you're going to think this is weird coming from us who we're of a certain age. But I buy your shoes from you. Right. And it's sort of like an alarm went off, like, you want to buy my shoes? Why? I was like, yo, give you 500 right now. And my shoes is on my feet because I was wearing some Nikes that I didn't give a shit about. Right, right. He said no. He walked off with him. I was so sad. I said, can I at least take a picture? <laughs> he let me take a picture of him. That actually happened to me on the train in Toronto. For a pair of shoes that Bobito designed. Which ones? Little Asian Kid, as we're talking about the 55th anniversary of the Superstar next year, 2024. Mm-hmm. Oscar Robertson, Jerry West wore them the first time you wore Leather Stinkers in NBA. Yep. The All-Star Game in 69. This kid wanted the Project Playgrounds that Bob designed. Mm-hmm. He goes, I'll give you $500 and, and take you into the mall. And you can get whatever Jordans you want. I'll buy them for those shoes. Because they were, at the time... One of 400, so they were all numbered. Mm-hmm. They reissued them again, but I don't think the reissue was heavy. Right. But the fact that it even happened, the fact that this kid asked me that is a very similar story. I feel like I opened your story, though, so I feel bad now. No, you didn't. No. So, <laughs> I so, just thought it was rel- like really close. When you said, I'll buy your sneakers, I heard that kid in my mind. Sneaker Man, I don't know you, but like really, that passion, that desire for sneakers can only be matched when we come back for more yep. on the other side of this. Sneaker regret. Special guest, Mr. Sean Williams on the open run. (laughs) Sneaker regrets. (laughs) You're now listening to the sounds of the open run with Will Strickland, where the lecture is conducted from the mic to the speaker in conversation with the great Sean Williams. OSD. What up? Social studies. Be back in the house, no doubt. Hey, man, you realize that 23 years ago this past weekend, the vice, I'm saying his name wrong, the vice is right. Hmm. Sydney, Australia, 2000 Olympics, seven foot three, Frederick Weiss, the international team, mm-hmm. got the cashews put on his head by Vincent Lamar Carter. Yep. Arguably the greatest in game dunk, if not the greatest in game dunk in NBA history. And it's not even in, or in, in history, period. Because there could have been some dunks out in the street we don't know about in prison, whatever. But that dunk, would you say is the greatest dunk ever? Hmm. I don't know. You know what? I've seen since that dunk. I would say in the moment, in the moment, that year as it happened in real time back then, yes. The Nike Shocks BB4s, like all of that. <laughs> like, yes, Absolutely. But I would say the way dunking has been elevated to such an incredible art form and being done by people who are not playing professionally, like 
just last week I've seen dunks. Oh yeah, media that take the Vince. I'm talking about. But I'm talking about in a game against somebody. Yeah, it's it's one thing to create a dunk and you're out there practicing and working on your own. I'm talking about in game dunking. But here's what I love about that dunk, right? I can't remember if it was Dr. J or if it was if it was Michael Jordan that said, "I used to specialize in dunking on people bigger than me, not people smaller than me." Right. I can't remember which one of them said it. It had to be Doc because Doc was he, when he crammed on Kareem, like it didn't matter who it was. So, so the so so you know, I love the fact that that was verbalized as the dunk being the shot of choice on a bigger opponent, right? I love that because it made you think about the dunk as an actual shot. As opposed to something that you just did to show off and be flashy, right? What it became to some extent because the challenge if somebody challenged you and tried to stop you from scoring a spectacular basket and you made sure they could, right? But it was an uncoachable shot, right? Like, yeah, you can't coach that, you can't coach when is the right moment to dunk on a bigger opponent. You have to literally have the athletic ability and the killer instinct to do it. A coach yeah. can teach you that, right? No, you can't. They tell you about attacking the rim and, and running downhill, but how they finish is right. totally up to you and the individual. That's the art of it. Right. So so in that regard, I would say in that real-time instance back then when Vince Carter did that on Frederick Weiss, yeah, most incredible. Like just and Vince was in his bag already from like prior to the from the dunk contest. You could see that he was going to posterize anybody he could possibly posterize yeah. any day of the week. After the dunk contest, you can see that. Yeah, that I mean, that. all that that was actually you're right. The momentum, all that was there. Right, for sure. You could see that, right? So, yeah. in in that regard, like when you think about the overall mood that was set for him to do that, yeah, it's epic. Now people, it's like okay, it's standard. You get a breakaway, you got to But that yeah, was but like, dunk on somebody though. When I think about the dunk, rock the cradle, dunk the Dr. J. Like, what makes you think in a game against one of the best defenders of your era? Right. They're the same height, don't get me wrong, but they're on a run. So there's no guy in the lane waiting for you. Right. You're running. I'm trying to show you my ego in my 30s is this. There's nothing you can do. Rock the cradle and make you duck under. But 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 wait, but that's but wait, but wait. That's one of the most epic dunks in the entire history of the NBA. Period. For because that would never happen in a game anymore. The mm. way the rules have changed in the NBA. Like they will foul you first. They will foul you before you get there. So the fact that on that break, Dr. J is looking at Coop, who I think at that point was, he probably was first first team NBA all defense. 100%. 100%. Still, Coop. And then they're both so high in the air that Coop's last resort in that moment is to flip and duck or get the bottom of the backboard to take his head off. Right. Just goes to show you. And Doc knew. He's like, you know what? This is one of the top defenders in the league. I'm on a right. with this dude. Watch what I do to him. Yeah, and that was nasty. Came, and that dunk became a thing that now future generations used. Nobody mm. milled Duncan like that before. Right, that. right. And if you think about it, you look at a young cat like Anthony Edwards, who's new Adidas, I kind of like. I have to I see do like what's them. up. I do like I kind of like those. I, I saw a prototype the other day. I kind of like them. I think I'll have a pair soon. But it was something that he said to new owner of the Minnesota Timberwolves, Alex Rodriguez, that made me laugh. When you think about the next spaces of the NBA, 
You're not going to have the hashtag for long. You're not going to have Wardell Stephen Curry the second. You're not going to have Kevin Wayne Durant forever. These guys are going to move on. Right. And a guy like Anthony Edwards who showed off in the World Cup, for him to say to the owner of the team, and this speaks to his personality, hey, man, how you messed up J-Lo? He just said it to his face. How you messed up J-Lo? I'm like, come on, dog. Did you see the movie Hustle? I haven't yet. He was really good in that. Yeah, I heard. I heard. He's rock solid for what he was able to do. He didn't do too much. He knew too little. It felt like his personality. You know told me he was good in that? My son, my twenty, right. my now 21-year-old son told me Anthony Edwards was good in Hustle. And when you think about that, that combination of that content and the sneakers that we talked about, fashion and function before, he's the type of guy that can I build a whole story behind him? And I think you can. Yeah. I, I mean, his name doesn't stand out like a Kobe or a hashtag he who shan't be named is you can get, have the one name moniker. Mm-hmm. Even they changed Michael Jeffrey Jordan, which is a very Anglo straight laced name to MJ. Mm-hmm. It's more cool to it. I mean, what do you do with Anthony Edwards? How do you, you kind of, he has a personality, but maybe that thing that connects him over the top is not quite there yet. It's going to be a sports moment that makes it, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? 100%. Like Reggie Jackson became Mr. October because of something he did on the field in October. 100%. Right? 100%. So, I mean, it, it, it always takes that kind of moment, right, for a person's moniker to be crystallized at some point, you know? What do you think about the beard? I've always thought the beard was stupid. <laughs> well, a lot of people are saying that now. I've always because... thought it was stupid because he wasn't the first one with a beard like that. I know, right? But, I mean... Again, what else did he have to hang on to from a personality standpoint? And this is why I'm asking now when you have this combination of fashion and function and personality, you could start to tell a story with him. The story that James Edward Harden Jr. is telling right now is that he doesn't necessarily want to be in the NBA. And on KG Certified, I watched this on Showtime not too long ago, where he and Matt Barnes are now talking about how many times can you force your way out of a situation? Right. He didn't have bums in Houston. He had Christopher Emmanuel Paul and Dwight David Howard, Carmelo Kayam Anthony. He had all these guys down there in Houston. Didn't do it. Goes to Brooklyn as Kevin Durant, as Kyrie Andrew Irving. Yeah. Wants out. Goes to Philly with the MVP. Yeah. Joel Hans and B, the Colonel's son. Still wants out. And Kevin Garnett actually made this a great point. He goes, hey, man, you get like a certain amount of wiggles before they say you're out. Yeah. You're on your third wiggle, my guy, and you're at the point of walking yourself out of the NBA because there is no country for old men at this point. You can't even trade that asset anymore. No, no. And the fact that I think his cushion, too, not to speak on a man's pockets, but a 10-year, $200 million deal with Adidas will make you arrogant like that and do dumb things like that. So you're saying they shouldn't have signed him to a guaranteed deal like that? I think this Adidas deal was the worst signing in the history of signature sneakers to me. Oh, talk to me. I mean, he's confirming, you know, what Kobe Bryant said. Kobe Bryant said years ago, James Harden's style of play will never win a championship. Has it? Mm. And and now he's giving himself even more of a chance with these situations to prove Kobe right. Well, he's basically done that because that's the tail end of his career. And to talk about another Adidas athlete, who was just recently traded, who was loyal to his city. And I, I cannot stand that term. Loyalty in sports business is a yeah, fan construct that means absolutely nothing. It means nothing. Because if you broke your leg tomorrow and they could trade you, they would. 
Houston Rockets tried to trade Kevin Porter Jr. after he beat up his girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Now, again, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's still out there. We don't know all the details. But the fact that you had this information, you still tried to move him, speaks to the idea of loyalty. They didn't stand behind him. So why should the players stand behind the teams? It's a business. And when Dame Lillard said he wanted out of Portland after X amount of years, he got his wish, but not really. Right. He wanted to go to Miami. They got him with another top 75 player of all time, and Giannis Ugola Terrence. I gave him that middle name. I'm <laughs> dead serious. He lives in Milwaukee. You got to have Terrence, something like that, you know, but uh, <laughs> it's in Tacupo. And does he have a better chance to win the NBA championship? Probably so. Yeah. But the balance of power in Eastern Conference has been shifting back and forth, including with this team in Massachusetts. Yeah, called the Boston Celtics, the owners of seventeen world like. championships. Huh? It's a green I like. Yeah, yeah. So tell me more. What do you think about this trade to get Drew Holiday there in Boston, and what it means to the chances for Boston to hoist the eighteenth championship trophy? I like it because it's funny. I was just having this conversation with, believe it or not, a high schooler yesterday, a high mm. school girl yesterday, about how upset we were when they traded Marcus Smart. Because mm. he represented some real heart and grit for that team, where you kind of see Tatum and Jalen Brown. And there's two people on the Boston Celtics who represented grit last season. It was Robert Williams and Marcus Smart. Mm-hmm. Those two, they they came with their lunch pail. They came to go to work. Marcus Smart more so than Robert Williams because of the injuries. But those two represented like, okay, I'll take an elbow in the face. I'll, you know, I'll mm. do all that other stuff that represents old school Celtic basketball. Now, did you say Grant Williams or Robert Williams? Because all of them are going now. Robert Williams, I said. Okay, you could throw Grant Williams in there too. I didn't like him because he cried too much to the refs. He was a major distraction to me. Okay. He represented a major distraction to me. (laughs) I can feel your passion as a fan come through right now. He represented such a major distraction. Like every time he was on the court, I knew something bad was going to happen and the team was going to (laughs) go And that's exactly what happened. Okay. But now with Jeru Holiday, Jalen Brown, Tatum, I feel like there's somebody there that can say, yo, dude, I know where to get y'all y'all's ball. I know where to get y'all y'all spots. And I know when it's time for me to turn up and go on a run and get, you know, six or eight points. And also, I know how to watch all of these schemes that these dudes are running, you know, on their offense. And I can call them out really good. So I think in that regard – even though he wasn't as good a he isn't as good a defender as Marcus Smart was, because Marcus Smart was just tough and in your face and all about the physicality of defense. Mm. I think Jeru Holiday's basketball IQ makes up for that. You know what? I was gonna disagree with you until I realized that Marcus Smart two years ago was the defensive player of the year in the NBA. Drew Holiday has never been that the first guard since Gary Payton. Right. And Drew Holiday is respected as one of the toughest, strongest guards in the league. Mm-hmm. Great defender, great teammate, just a rock solid dude. And I never really looked at it like you just put it until just now. It's true that Marcus Smart defensively. So let's let's say that the Boston Celtics basically gutted their whole team, a team that had gone to what five conference finals in the past seven years. Yep. Been to two NBA championships. Yep. If I'm not mistaken. No, no, one. I'm sorry, one. Well, no, one. yeah. They didn't make it in the bubble. They didn't make it. They didn't make it in the bubble. They didn't make it in those years where the hashtag was running the East when they had Kyrie Irving on the tent. Like, but that core unit, yeah, with Smart, 
Tatum Brown has been there. Yep. For them to say we need to reset, it's going to push us over the top. Your defense really fell off a cliff all of a sudden. No Marcus Smart, no Grant Williams. I know you don't like him. And no Robert Williams. You're going to count on 3-6 Lapia, my man, Chris Stapps Porzingis, stay healthy for the entire season, and the 912-year-old Al Horford. <laughs> I love Al Horford, but what will it take in the playoffs? If you watch the playoffs this year, teams that have more fluidity offensively and defensively from a size and situational standpoint, guys who can switch off on guards like a Bam Adebayo, you don't have that in Boston anymore. Al Horford can do it for a little bit. You don't have that in Boston now. Robert Williams could do it if he wasn't injured all the time. He was right. doing it. Right. You saw a team like Denver having guys come in. The Aaron Gordon was playing center when Jokic went off the court. Yeah. So if you don't have that kind of fluidity on your bench, I don't know what they're going to do. This reset for Boston doesn't make them necessarily better to me. But and it doesn't people, make them worse. Doesn't make them worse. But what is that? Gil Scott Heron did this thing called Oatmeal Man. Oatmeal yeah. Man is a guy who does just enough to keep his job, but not enough to lose it. Yeah, That's what it feels like happening in Boston because they're going to have to give the biggest contract in NBA history to Jason Christopher Chatham Sr. next year. If they want to retain Drew Holiday, they're going to have to pay him too. They're going to play with those three and a bunch of G League guys in 2025. I don't know. I think there'll be some some people who want to come to Boston right now. I'm not saying it's not a destination station. Don't get me wrong. But again, with Grosbeck, I don't think he's ready to pay that luxury tax like he's about to pay because he has to pay Drew Holiday at some point. Yeah, that's true. And you got to figure it out. I don't know if he wants to be a rental. And if he is a rental, does he stay in Boston next year? Who knows? Oh, if they can up the money. Here's 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 some here's some pluses for Drew Holiday. It's not as cold in Boston as it is in Milwaukee. <laughs> <laughs> he's an LA guy. I I really thought he was going to go to LA. To tell you the truth, I thought. Now I'm not talking about the Clippers because that's. Not really a team. (laughs) (laughs) But I I saw D'Angelo Russell, Butchafino, and draft picks, number one draft picks in 29 and 30 going to Portland for Drew Holiday. That's what I saw. But when I come back part two, we're going to revisit this evaluation of my Celtics and what's happening. At the midpoint, we're going to look at where they are Mm -hmm. and who's going to get traded by the February trade deadline. Uh from Boston because they're like, wait, this didn't work out like we wanted to. I just don't trust Chris Stapps or Zings. I don't. Yeah, he had a good year this year, but I, I just don't trust him. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, here's 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 a here's a question, an overall question to watch this year. I don't know if the answer is yes or no. I'm I'm holding out a little bit of hope for it. Will LeBron James ever win Defensive Player? Of the I'm sorry, year? I don't know who that that is. We don't we don't say that name on the show, sir. Will he ever win Defensive Player of the Year? It's just a, a general question. The it's hashtag he's never won. The hashtag he who shan't be named should have won the Defensive Player of the Year in 2013 over Marcus Saul. He did not. At this age, to think that he's going to win the Defensive Player of the Year for me would be, as he turns 39 in December, a reach of the highest magnitude. Okay. So does that diminish? That's like saying... You're going to turn in a Rolls Royce because it has a dent in the back fender just a little bit. Nah, you're not turning that over. You're going to drive that thing. The results are still there. And speaking of the results, we're about to watch what's arguably the most anticipated WNBA final in league history. I would say so. 
between the Liberty of New York mm-hmm. and the Aces of Las Vegas. Yeah. They have five former number one picks between them. This is almost to me, like I'm talking about the 87 NBA final with the Lakers and the Celtics. I think there were nine or ten Hall of Famers playing against each other in that in that series alone. That's probably oh. the most in the NBA history, uh-huh. if I'm not mistaken. This looks like one of those things that you can see for the next couple of years in the WNBA. I'm happy for the Aces that have an opportunity to go back to back the first one since the Sparks back in the day. Yeah. And for a team like Liberty, have overcome a lot and put it all together. The MVP on the team, Rihanna Stewart, although I selected my MVP voting, the woman who actually got the most first place votes, Alyssa Thomas, who had done stuff in the WNBA that's never been done before. And we talk about value. I always have an issue about value. Mm-hmm. Is it the best player? most valuable player sometimes they they can be both but steph curry is the best player on the golden state warriors the most valuable player is draymond jamal green senior no draymond no championships the best player on the chicago bulls saint michael jeffrey of wilmington without scotty maurice pippen no championships true when i talk about value what does value mean today and the goalposts seem to move all the time of the nba and they're they're picking and it looks like that Again, I don't want to take away from what Brianna Stewart did this year. Amazing year. Asia Wilson from the Aces could have been the MVP. Yeah. But Alyssa Thomas, you take Alyssa Thomas off the, the sun, they're a lottery team. Yeah, that's a fact. The other two teams, you take Brianna Stewart, you take Asia Wilson off, they're going to be in the playoffs. I don't like, know about that. What? I don't know. John Quill Jones, former defensive player of the year and MVP. Sabrina Inescu, Courtney Vandersloot, Renaja Laney. You have a playoff team in New York, in Vegas. Well, well you play concerned. Chelsea right. Gray, Kelsey Plum, Jackie Young, Candace Parker. Come on, man. I'm, o- I'm only talking about this from the Liberty perspective. <laughs> Brooklyn to the heart. I'm only talking about this from the Liberty perspective. And, and I have to take last night as an example, right? Mm-hmm. If Brianna Stewart doesn't go on that run last night in that game real quick, they lose. And it's tied up 2-2. Right. And I found what I saw, right, and I saw in a couple of games that I watched for the Liberty during this series, is Sabrina Unescu is still struggling when they double up. When they come off that screen and double up on her, she still struggles to make the right decision. And three or four plays of that in a row with a team like Connecticut Sun or the Las Vegas Aces, game's over. Right. Without Brianna Stewart. Right, but the MVP – showed up in the last couple of games because he was struggling in the playoffs earlier. Mm-hmm. Asia Wilson, 30 point, 30 point, 30 point, 10 rebounds, 10, four blocks. She's out there killing everything moving. Yeah. But value, you got a triple-double out of Alyssa Thomas in the game that closed out the series between the Sun and the Liberty. I, I talked about this earlier in the podcast. She talked that talk in the post-game conference. I'm not mad at that. Mm-hmm. She said, I've done something that's never been done in WNBA before. And you probably won't see it again unless I do it. Now, they have been touting Sabrina Ionescu, who has the most triple-doubles in NCAA history, as that person. Nobody was talking about Alyssa Thomas, but she proved her point, and she doesn't have the level of talent around her. that. Well, I, I, love, I love what she said simply because it all adds an edge and fuel to what the next season is going to be. Yes, yes. I like that, though. This, this was probably easily the most exciting WNBA season in a long time. And that we can embrace it as men. I think a lot of men go and like, oh, it's no, it's basketball. 
and you combine the quality of play, like these women can hoop. Yeah. And you combine, like like I said, we, we said this earlier, talking about fashion and function, they do the tunnel walks with them too, and their community service and the things that make the game more than just a game in these communities. I'm invested. Yeah. Right? And yeah. I, I like this season. I like what this season represented, but I am going to go with the Liberty on this series. They were tied 2-2 in the regular season, and – Delivery did spank them in the Commissioner's Cup. But early season versus postseason, we shall see. It's going to go five. I feel like it's going to go five. Yeah. I I'm hope going with the Aces to go back to back. I hope it goes five. For the ad sales and everything else, nature of it, for the business aspect of it, I hope it goes five. It should be one of those things that really establishes the new WNBA. Yeah. It changes the, the specter of what the game could be. And a lot of people are like, oh, you know, they should be making this. They should be making that. Okay, cool. Series like these will make that more possible and more viable, more visible. You have to realize the National Basketball Association did not have a full-time national television deal until 1994. That's almost 50 years after they started the league. Yep. WNBA is in its, what, 27th year? So you think about that. I know time and technology change things, so it can be truncated a bit. Fair argument. But I think series like this can be the tipping point for the next level of things. There's more pay equity for the women and, and from a scalable standpoint. It's not when people try to compare the NBA, it's not the same thing. If if I don't bring in ten billion dollars in revenue every month, I'm gonna pay these players like that. Right. Put like this WNBA coaches should not be making more than the players. Mickey Hammond, I'm talking to you. That's Mark Davis who did that. Who owns a team? Who owns the Raiders and everything else? You know what There's else? A salary cap and everything else. You know what else I liked about this year too, in terms of sneakers. A lot of women played Ooh. in their own signature shoes. Yes. Well, let's talk about Stewie. Let's talk about uh, Candace Parker. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about the one that they're. I don't know why they call it a unisex shoe. It's dope, and all sneakers are basically unisex. I don't care what you say. If you, from a style and fashion standpoint, you can wear. It. If I see a woman's pair and they have a size 17 for me, I'm rocking them. Especially if I like the way they look. I know you get you're not gonna find no 17s. You're not gonna find no 17s. But I'm saying, like in the event that they did, I would rock them like, oh, those purple joints, I like those. Yeah, right. But Sabrina Inescu's sneaker, it's a fashion and function thing, but you look at it, it's just there's a comfort to it, there's a style to it. Have you connected with the name yet? Have you connected with a player yet? Because she hasn't been an MVP race or she hasn't been the person that's won anything like that, maybe you're not there yet. Yeah, but her sneaker, I, I love the, that you brought that up. That so many yeah. women are wearing their own. Jewel mm-hmm. Lloyd just got a, her own Kobe, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I like I like that. When you think back, I want to go back to like the LeBron Seven, which is my favorite LeBron in the signature line for him. Mm. Diana Taurasi had heat that year. She had all the hot LeBron Sevens that year. Mm. And like to see it go from like. Folks like her getting just exclusive PEs to now there's a bunch of players all over the league who get good PE shoes as well as women running in their own signature and then other women wearing those women's signature shoes to play. This is like this year was dope for that. Well, you are the dope for sure being a part of the open run. Sir, again, it's been a pleasure. I'm sure we're going to do this again. And you know we could have done this all day, but. Yeah. And let the people you've already let the people know where they can find you until yep. next time. My easy. brother. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Go Celtics. <laughs> <laughs>
now winning time on the open run with Will Strickland. Want to thank our very special guest, my man Sean Williams from Obsessive Sneaker Disorder and the Social Studies Community Academy in Brooklyn, Dumbo, Brooklyn, New York City. Find out more about what they're doing. Great guests, great dudes. Looking forward to doing more with him in the very near future. But with that being said, it is now time for the news, views, and truths that you choose on the NBA and beyond. The LA Clippers clearly looking for some depth and youth on their roster to take that next step. I don't know if he's that piece, but young Josh Primo, who was out of the league for a minute, dropped and waved by the Spurs after it was found that he was exposing himself to women within the organization. He said he had some mental health issues. He wanted to take some time off. They let him go. The Clippers feel like, I guess he's in a better place, and they're going to give him a second chance. I could sit here and dump on this kid all day. I'm not going to. He's going to get a second chance to be in better. Hopefully, he has a better situation in L.A. than he did in San Antonio, and he can comport himself in a way that is consistent with being a superlative young human being. And shout out to the great Hubert Jude Brown. He will teach you. 90 years young, still commentating for the NBA through TNT. One of the best teachers of the game that we've ever seen. A guy who we saw play in his prime, the late, great Wilton Norman Chamberlain, whose 1972 NBA championship jersey sold for $4.9 million, only third to the 2008 Kobe Bean Bryant MVP season jersey that sold $5.8 million and at number one. St. Michael Jeffrey of Wilmington's 98 Last Dance jersey sold for $10.3 million. We definitely saw him play. Will he see Mikey Williams play in the NBA? And I don't know. I don't want to make this a Memphis thing. It's definitely not a Penny thing. Penny had nothing to do with this. But the association will happen because people like to conflate. And maybe I'm doing that for them by default in a way. But you saw the problems with James Wiseman and how they made it a problem when he was there in Memphis. You saw the issues with Imani Bates when he was a freshman there in Memphis. And now Mikey Williams, incoming freshman, a guy who at one time had the name, image, and likeness world at his feet with millions of followers, ranked the 25th best high school player in the country at the time of his classification, is still dealing with pending charges. I don't know if they called it attempted murder or battery and assault and unloading a weapon into a vehicle that housed people, or I forget how they worded it. But if that's the charge you're dealing with, you're probably not going to play basketball, and that's not your priority right now. Will he ever play college basketball? I don't know. I do know that a young person who, if he had name, image, and likeness deals back when he was on the campus of the University of Texas at Austin, one young Kevin Wayne Durant, I guess he's done pretty well for himself either way, with or without it. But what he's doing is paying it forward by having a court refurbished, not only for the basketball team, some other things he's doing there on the campus in Prince George's County where he grew up in Maryland, or Merlin, as people from Maryland like to say, Kevin Wayne Durant court at Bowie State University. Salute to you and saluting the HBCU in your area, sir. Monday was NBA Media Day. For sure, next week, I will have a recap of everything that I took in from it. Of course, we're going to really focus on Big Game Dame and also, of course, James Edward Harden Jr. not showing up. They're going to be the focal points, guys with new addresses and new homes. But the real focus right now in basketball is the WNBA final. And I want to salute Brianna Stewart on her second MVP. 
that she was awarded this year. Even though Alyssa Thomas had more first place votes than both she and the rampaging Asia Wilson out there for the Las Vegas Aces, Stewie won it over. And it's Taster's choice in this situation. Each one of these women have earned the right to be called MVP in this league. Only one could win it. Okay, Brianna Stewart won it this year. And we'll find out what happens in the WNBA Finals. And they are set now. I can talk about how the MVP finally showed up and the Liberty won three straight. That's cool. Or that the Aces swept the wings after being down 57-51 to 51 with five plus minutes left in the game. I'm like, oh, the Aces lost this game. Only to find out they'd held the wings with dynamic scores like Enrique Angumbwale and Satu Sabli held them scoreless for the last almost six minutes of the game. End up winning the game 61-57 to 57 and wing ugly. Champions have to win blowout games. Sometimes you have to win a slug fest. And they've shown that they could do that. I'm looking forward to this final. Everyone wants to see the super teams. We got them. Now in the regular season, as I said with Sean, they were 2-2. Two two. But the Commissioner's Cup, where the Liberty smoked the Aces, both winning a league record 30-plus games in the regular season. But who's going to win the best of five? Let's talk about the matchups. I mean, right off, we already know. Asia Wilson. Brianna Stewart. I don't think that Brianna Stewart is going to be guarding Asia Wilson and vice versa. I believe that Kia Stokes will be guarding Brianna Stewart, much like I believe that John Cole Jones will have to be tasked with facing another MVP in Asia Wilson. So what's going to make the difference? The perimeter play? 2022 WNBA Finals MVP Chelsea Gray, Kelsey Plum, and Jackie Young are arguably a top three triumvirate in the backcourt of any team in league history. Shouts out to Houston Comets. But the Liberty aren't doing that bad either. Menage Laney, Sabrina Nescu, and Courtney Vandersloot are going to play a big role. Minutes will matter. With the amount of talent, including the sixth person of the year and Alicia Clark coming off the bench for the Aces, both teams, as most playoff teams do, shorten their bench to about seven, eight players, the rotation. But will that hurt one of these teams? Which one will hurt more? The Liberty? The Aces? We'll soon find out. But I think having Alicia Clark come off and playing multiple positions, playing defense, scoring timely baskets will be a big difference maker. Losing Candace Parker July 7th to a foot injury was a big deal. She came over to win a championship, another one with this squad. And will she be just someone watching from the sidelines? Looks like it's so. And maybe it's about that time. What we do know is that on the bench, two former players, first time in WNBA history, we've had two former players face off against one another in the final, Sandy Brondello of the Liberty, and of course, Becky with a good hair, Becky Hammond in Las Vegas. Will the edge go to the one that won the championship? So, who do you think is going to win the best of five? I think it's going to go five, as I said with Sean earlier. He picked the Liberty, I picked the Aces. Let me know what you think. You know what my social media is. I'm not hard to find. Before we get out of here, when talking about championships, there's a story about Dwayne Wade talking to Unk, Shannon Sharp, on his podcast about watching Kobe win his fifth title and get on the phone immediately and say, hey, to the hashtag who shan't be named, what you going to do? You come down to Miami, let's make it happen. But they've been talking about this. Everybody thinks it's some sort of, ooh, reveal. He said the quiet part out loud like we didn't know. The real collusion, if you want to call it that, the real planning started in 2008 when they started looking at their impending free agencies and figuring out who was going to go with them and make this happen. Who wants to play in Miami? Who wants to play in Cleveland? Who wants to play in Toronto? Because Christopher Weston Bosch, all these guys are the same draft class, all on the Olympic team. That's when they started thinking about this plan. They plan their work. They can work their plan. And maybe the same thing has happened 
with Screaming A. Smith and Max Kellerman. Now, I don't normally do salacious like this, but it, I think it's relevant to what we're talking about because Screaming A doesn't have any quiet parts to say out loud. They're all out there. But what he was looking for in Max Kellerman once he and Skip Bayless split was a white foil that will play well with white America so that he could offer all kinds of things and he could play off of Max. And it wouldn't be about nuance and intelligence in so much as it'd be about just embracing debate. Right or wrong, they come for the drama. Max wasn't always about the drama. Max came with some intelligence. Max is allegedly a certifiable genius. And Screaming A got a little sensitive. Now, male insecurity is a bitch. It's led to every war we've ever seen on this planet. And whether it be real or imagined, on social media as well. Now he's doing the rounds and making a, a big note of how, much like the dude who's snitching about the Tupac thing, I'm not going to give him any burn like that, Stephen A is snitching. Oh, yeah, I didn't like Max. Max wouldn't give me this. Max wouldn't give me that. Max hasn't said a word. Exposing yourself like dog nuts right now, screaming, eh? But it doesn't matter to him. He's making his next moves. And it makes me think about people like Marcellus Wiley, who broke this down, I thought, to a T. Or a guy like Billions Jones. He's no longer Bomani Jones. I was watching Billions the other night. and Bo had a little cameo on that joint. So salute to Bo. Or someone like Maybe I'm breaking my arm to pat myself in the back. Me. At every stop in media, there's always this desire to create the drama. And I didn't want just the drama. I wanted some nuance behind the drama. I can entertain, but I want to educate. The thrust of everything I do is edutainment. It's part of the reason why I do the open run. Is that I do say the quiet parts. Out loud. And I hope you appreciate it. Because whether you do or you don't, I'll be back next week doing the same damn thing. So until then, do remember, do what's popular with the population. Make sure you don't get beat off the dribble. And keep listening to the podcast for basketball and life are one. It is the open run with Will Strickland. Rich kid, my mellow, my man. Do what you do when you do it, brother. Easy.